Welcome to Shadows, Strings and Other Things Exhibition Conversations, where we, that's Anna Nielsen, Assistant Curator of All Things Digital, and me, Nicola Lavelle, Curator of All Things Material, take you behind the scenes to meet with the creative individuals who help make the exhibition. Today we're meeting with curator Dr. Nicola Lavelle, who's an Associate Professor of Museum and Visual Anthropology at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver. She's curated exhibitions and installations across the world in Portugal, the UK, Canada, and the USA. Her most recent being the temporary exhibition, Shadow, Strings, and Other Things, The Enchanting Theater of Puppets, at the UBC Museum of Anthropology from May to October 2019. So, let's take you back to the beginning. How did you become a guest curator of the puppetry exhibition? Well, there is a backstory of a cancelled exhibition. In fact, there are many backstories involving, for example, the mystery of the missing 12-foot-tall puppet and the marionette winery in Samanam, BC. But I'll save those stories for another occasion. So the puppetry exhibition happened because of a cancelled exhibition. So for a couple of years, um, I'd been working on an exhibition on the night sky for the Museum of Anthropology, MOA, um, called Dark Skies, Celestial Bodies, Art and Sounds. But in September of 2018, a mutual decision was made to cancel the exhibition because at the time the museum was having its skylight windows replaced and because of insurance reasons, I was unable to borrow artworks from other institutions or individuals, so from museums and artists. And because over 90% of the Dark Skies exhibition was actually loan material, we really had to cancel the exhibition. But the museum still needed an exhibition for its temporary exhibition space. This is a substantial Odane gallery, which is just under 6,000 square feet. So it needed a summer show, so to run from May until October of 2019. So I thought long and hard, I went online um, onto the museum's catalogue and I looked at the museum's collection again for inspiration. And the puppets jumped out at me. Um, normally I'd be really reluctant, really hesitant to curate an exhibition um, using MOA's collection alone because it has its own body of curators with expertise and area specialisms. But these were extenuating circumstances um, no exhibition. And so I, I had the experience. I had a background in curating with puppets, designing a hands-on puppets from around the world workshop, field collecting for puppets, etc. So I submitted an exhibition proposal to curate the exhibition, Shadow Strings and Other Things, the Enchanting Theatre of Puppets, and it was accepted. So how did you go about selecting the puppets for inclusion in this exhibition? Well, generally, temporary exhibitions of this scale take about three years to research and produce. But in our case, it was fast-tracked, so we had about eight to nine months, um, which is a very, very short timeline. So I had to use strategic curatorial practices, which really came into play. So I drew heavily on the structure used that I used in the puppetry workshop that I ran in 2010, where I displayed and organised puppets from different parts of the world according to the very established um, classificatory system, whereby puppets are classified according to their mechanisms or effects of display. So in our case, there were five types. So you had shadow, hence the title of the exhibition. So shadows, string, string or marionettes, uh, hand puppets, rods and stop motion. 
so in theorizing, so just to, to go back to how did I select these, these objects? So what's interesting in terms of theorizing exhibitions, so when we teach museology, we often speak about two different processes or types of making exhibitions. So there are exhibitions that are concept led where they're driven really by an idea or they are initiated, they originate in an idea and contrasted with object led exhibitions where they really start, you start with the collection. Um, but the reality is um, that actually exhibitions are usually a combination of both of these types. There's that kind of real sort of dialectic or oscillation between um, these two types. But in the case of shadows, um, shadow strings and other things, um, the exhibition was really an object-led exhibition um, because I had just used Moa's collection. But that noted, rather than beginning with the real objects, so the physical collections, I began selecting puppets online. So trawling through the digital catalogue, Moa Cat, which is an incredible resource. And from this initial research, um, I saw the museum, I worked out the museum had almost 400 puppets, but it had never really systematically collected them or, or in fact displayed them. Um, and so it had about, um, well, it had only 10 puppets from Europe, uh, one puppet head from Africa, and uh, in fact, only small parts of the overall collection had ever been displayed because Moa's curators, past and present, have not focused on puppets or puppetry. So, as is often the case with museums, the collection has grown passively through the serendipity and passion of scholars and collectors and the generosity of donors. And so, I, when I started the research online, I wasn't at all surprised to see that the largest part of the collection, I think about a third more or less, was from Indonesia, where there's such a vibrant puppetry tradition with shadow puppets, Wayangkulit, and rod puppets, Wayangolek, um, very much common, commonly seen in, in lots of exhibitions. So this was a sort of an overall profile of, of the museum's collection. So a third from Indonesia, uh, very few from Europe, one from Africa. In the exhibition proposal, I explained that to mount an exhibition on the museum's puppet collection, it would be essential to recalibrate or balance the collection through the strategic acquisition, through purchasing certain puppet groups from or puppets from Asia, Europe and the Americas. So to be able to tell stories in the exhibition. So you mentioned that the Indonesian puppets are the largest collection in the museum. Could you tell us more about them? How and when did the museum acquire them? Yes, it was um, interesting. One of the only field collections, that's to say a collection assembled and documented by an anthropologist or a collector working in the field, in the cultural area, is from Indonesia. It's a superb, really well-documented collection of Wayang Kulit shadow puppets, including 31 leather cutting tools and a set of six items showing the different stages of the making of the Wayang Kulit shadow puppet, including the paper pattern and the cut-out buffalo hide in sequence. So really, really a, a fantastic collect collection. Um, and these puppetry items were collected in 1989 and in 1990 in Java and Bali by Dominique Major, who was then a graduate student. So she was an MA student in the Department of Anthropology here at UBC. And she also wrote an impressive 270 plus page MA thesis, unheard of nowadays, um, which was titled Field Collecting and Museum Exhibiting 
the political implications of representation in museums. And she also found time to curate an exhibition with the intriguing title of Wayang, From Gods to Bart Simpson, Shadow Play Figures of Indonesia. And it was, re- it was great, actually, because she contacted me out of the blue um, because she saw the exhibition while visiting Vancouver. She now teaches fine arts at uh, the Commission Scolaire de Montréal, uh, so the Montreal School Board, and she wanted to know if the exhibition was a touring exhibition because she wanted her students to see it. Well, sadly, it wasn't scheduled to tour because that kind of thing needs to be planned well in advance. Um, but now, with this uh, website and the VR, um, it is a reality. She can actually, the students can, will be able to, to see the show. That's amazing. Um, could you tell us more about what Dominique Major's scholarly motivation or rationale for collecting? Yeah, of course. So Dominique's collection is meticulously documented. Um, as I mentioned, it includes lots of photographs, you know, 100 plus, um, some sketches, diagrams, and the indigenous terms for certain items. Um, and so for her research, Dominique had been interested in documenting stylistic variations. So she collected iterations or, or versions of the same character from different puppet makers. So, um, so these are all shadow puppets. So for example, there are three versions of of Arjuna, who's one of the Pandava brothers and hero of the Mahabharata. But for the Shadow Strings and Other Things exhibition, I didn't want to focus on stylistic variation. I wanted to focus on storytelling and puppetry. And for the Wayan Kulik um, Shadow Stage, I wanted to choose a classic episode from the Ramayana, um, the abduction of uh, Sita. But even though uh, Wayan Kulik puppets number over a hundred in, in Moa's collection, so it's clearly the largest, and Dominique Major's was a very well-documented collection, key characters from the Ramayana, including the hero and namesake of the epic, Prince Rama, his wife Sita, and Rama's arch-rival, the ten-headed demon king, Ruana, were not represented. So um, I set about sourcing these critical characters for the exhibition. So this was early on in my search. I found an engaging documentary on YouTube, actually. You know, this is where all good bona fide researchers go. Um, YouTube, and the um, documentary was titled Sagio, um, Wayang Kulik Designer, Indonesia. And it profiles a 62-year-old Sagio. Now, Sagio, um, in, so it profiled him in his studio in Yogyakarta, um, Java, and in fact, Sagio was Dominique's main collaborator, and it's Sagio's puppets and tools that are part of Moa's collection. Um, so I contacted David Dominici, who is a Milan-based um, filmmaker who had made the the um, documentary on Sagio. And he proved to be an invaluable ally. So he gave permissions for me to screen um, his film on Sagio, as well as one that he's produced on water puppets in Vietnam. So they screened in the exhibition and they're also available to view on this on this website. And of course, David's too. Ultimately, because of various constraints, we purchased the Wayang shadow characters from the Vancouver-based um, Canadian-Javanese Dalang, or master puppeteer, and Gamelan orchestra conductor, Dr. Satrisna Hatana, who um, I worked with on documentation, identification, and selection of characters for the exhibition. I also worked with Satrisna on the Shadows Plus Strings, the school puppetry festival. And um, although not from a family of Dalangs, um, Satrisna had 
become captivated by Wayan Kulit's shadow puppetry when he was a young boy growing up in Java. Um, and as a teenager in the 80s, he'd studied classical gamelan music and he got a BA. He has a BA in um, Wayang puppetry and music, gamelan music from the Indonesian Institute of the Arts. Um, he has an MA in ethnomusicology from, from UBC, actually, Vancouver, and a PhD. Um, recently, he got his PhD from the University of Victoria for, um, with a dissertation that actually looks at Wayang performances in North American museums. So it was an absolute delight to work um, with him because he is so knowledgeable in this area and also a delightful person to boot. And it is in fact Satrisna's beautiful gamelan sounds that are woven into this podcast. So, in the shadows or shadow puppet area of the exhibition, there were shadow puppets from other countries too, such as the striking and historical contemporary Chinese shadow puppet displays. Can you tell us something about their backstories? Well, to begin, I should say that for the exhibition, very early on, I reached out to experts like Satrisno. Um, so experts, scholars, knowledge holders, puppet makers and puppeteers in different countries. And it was really through their generosity of spirit, enthusiasm and knowledge that I was able to expand the collections, enrich the museum documentation and curate the exhibition that I did. In the case of the Chinese Shadow Puppet Collection, I wrote to Dr. Robin Rusendahl, who is director of the Taiyuan Asian Puppet Theatre Museum and an artistic director of the Taiyuan um, Puppet Theatre Company in Taipei, Taiwan. And he's really an, a well-known, internationally renowned scholar of Asian puppetry. And I'd met him on a, on a couple of occasions. So I wrote to him and asked if he could recommend somebody to look and help me with uh, the historical Chinese shadow puppetry collection. And he recommended Annie Katsura Rowlands, describing her as one of the greatest experts on Chinese shadows both in China and abroad. Um, that's a quote. Um, so I sent her an email telling her that um, I'd made an initial selection of 17 Chinese shadow puppets from the Sichuan for inclusion in the exhibition. So the majority, so this was a real gem of a collection. Um, they'd been collected in the 1940s by somebody called a Mrs. Kathleen Spooner. Um, who'd lived in China for over 40 years. And I've, I've actually got a quote from her letter to the museum because it really captures the, the actual, her, the, the performance um, it, that she'd seen in China. Um, I believe, she said, this type of puppet is unique. Even when we were in China, such street puppet shore was considered old fashioned. After 1949 and during the Cultural Revolution, to show such plays glorifying the imperial past was regarded as unpatriotic. They were remnants of bad, old feudal times. Such things were banned and those who owned them punished. This collection is a survivor. I think the puppets in 19th century and tell the stories of warriors and ladies of the Three Kingdoms. The puppeteer preferred to put on his performance at night in the crowded team houses and the lights shining through the jewel colours of the translucent leather gave a glimmering sheen to the shadow performance. Most have the bamboo handling sticks which can be used to give body, arms and legs most realistic motion. I've never seen another group of puppets like these since our return to Canada. 
um, unquote. And she was absolutely right. You know, this collection really is a survivor and it really is a very precious gem. And so I asked Annie and she agreed to work with me as a consultant and identify and name the Sichuanese um, shadow puppet characters. Um, I also really wanted to include some contemporary Chinese shadow puppets to ensure that Chinese shadow puppetry was not represented as a disappeared tradition. And this was very important for the exhibition for, for many other puppetry traditions. I wanted them to be seen also as part of living cultural heritage. And Annie stepped up and was instrumental in arranging for the purchase of the exquisite contemporary shadow puppets from the Lu family of Hebei province, whom she'd spent time with during her fieldwork. Um, she'd spent time documenting and studying their practice, but also she is training. She was a traditional um, apprentice shadow puppet cutter. Um, that's what they call shadow puppet makers. Actually, that's the, the, the speak, the shadow puppet speak. So she's a, a shadow puppet cutter. And her superb documentary films and photographs were also um, included in the exhibition. And they're also included on this website. So museums, or more specifically exhibitions, can become sites of diplomacy and spaces for negotiating cultural and nation state representations. Were there instances of acts of cultural diplomacy in the course of shadow strings and other things? Oh, yes. On a number of occasions, in fact. Um, one serendipitous act of cultural diplomacy and generosity um, occurred in the lead up to the exhibition, um, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> so while, while on an official visit to, to Vancouver, the ambassador of the Republic of Turkey to Canada, Karim Uras, um, visited and toured the museum with the director, Dr. Anthony Shelton. And they spoke about the forthcoming exhibition and the fact that the museum had a small set of Karagoj and Hejvat shadow puppets that had been bought, um, they'd been bought in the Grand Bazaar in Eastern Bull, as really sort of souvenirs, I think, in about 1979. But the set was incomplete because it lacked the main character, an anti-hero, Karagoj, which is a bit like having Punch and Judy without Punch. <laughs> um, so this was a case of national pride, really, for, for um, Turkey, um, bound up with the, you know, very much the public presentation of the puppetry tradition, which dates back to the Ottoman Empire and was inscribed, so the Karagoj um, tradition is inscribed on UNESCO's list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity, so it's inscribed in 2009, so a complete set is really important. <laughs> so anyway, but I knew nothing of this, but then on the evening of the exhibition opening in May 2019, after the uh, official speeches in the museum's Great Hall, Anil Bora Inan, the Consul General of the Republic of Turkey in Vancouver, who'd been instrumental in facilitating the gift, um, that I knew nothing about, <laughs> told me that the shadow puppets were on their way, travelling in the diplomatic pouch. Um, the next day he telephoned me to say that they'd arrived and arrangements were made for a gift-giving presentation um, which was photographed in the exhibition. And um, the donation, in fact, was from the Metropolitan Municipality of Bursa in Turkey and, and its museum there. And the donation comprised of a full set of, well, not a full set, but a set of 10 contemporary shadow puppets made by Erkan um, Exakal, uh, a master puppet, shadow puppet maker, and a puppeteer who actually works at the Bursa Karagoj Museum. And also, um, we were 
gifted book, a book, DVDs and, and leaflets on, on this tradition. Um, so that was one surprising and brilliant act of cultural diplomacy and the, the puppets were put on display. But a similar set of circumstances also surrounded the gift in 2010 of the four spectacular hand puppets known as pilly characters. They look, really look like these anime characters. Um, they're from a long-running and hugely popular martial arts television show in Taiwan, officially the Republic of China, um, and they, they were created by Pili uh, Multimedia International. So that company was founded in Taipei City by two brothers, Chris and Vincent Huang, um, third generation master puppeteers. So when Taiwan's first lady, Chao Mei Ching, uh, or Christine Ma, visited UBC Museum of Anthropology in 2010 during the Winter Olympics, she was given a tour of the exhibitions and collections. Um, but there was only a very, very small selection of puppets in uh, Taiwanese puppets in the collection. And puppetry really remains such a vibrant and vital part, a very part of the everyday culture in Taiwan. You know, it has its own television channel and in millions and millions of um, followers and cosplay dressers in the case of the Pili puppets. And so this fact may have influenced the First Lady to gift to the museum um, via the Taipei Cultural Center in Los Angeles that four dramatic pili puppets, including Hidden Mirror Man and Su Huan Zhen, um, that were included in the exhibition. So, on reflection, were there any real challenges in acquiring the puppets, purchases, or commissions for the exhibition? Is there one case that sticks out above all of the others? Mm. Yeah, there were so many different challenges and exhilarations along the way. The overall challenge was the timeline. It was so tight. Um, so for, for each new acquisition, I had to identify the gap very early on, uh, the missing characters, puppet characters in the story, um, to source the puppets, to complete the paperwork, get approval from MOA curators. Um, remember, I'm a guest curator. Um, get a permissions from... Um, MOA's acquisition committee and then arrange payment etc invoices etc that done then anxiety moved to another form um, surrounding you know the the puppets the these packages of precious puppets which were traversing the globe um, before being you know sort of arriving at Canadian customs to be inspected and cleared um, to arrive at the museum where they had to be in situ at least three weeks plus um, before um, the exhibition because they needed to be unpacked, checked off, decontaminated. So, you know, every puppet that came into the museum had to be placed in either the freezer for three weeks or wrapped and monitored in the quarantine room. After quarantine, they need to be catalogued, tended by conservation team and prepared for mounting um, in the exhibition. I mean, this is general ac acquisitions process. Um, but it takes time and we didn't have a lot of that. So each case, whether it was the Chinese shadow puppets, the Punch and Judy set from the UK, or the Chinese rod puppets sent from Taiwan, etc., etc., each case had its own challenges. In fact, the collection of colourful Brazilian mamalengos didn't arrive on time to go into the exhibition. But I had a contingency plan, and in fact, one of the pili puppet from Taiwan was put in its place, put put in their place. Um, 
But I would say the acquisition that gave me the most extended anxieties and drama um, and stress spread over weeks and months was the acquisition of the Opera dei Pupi from Sicily, Italy. So I had commissioned or ordered a set of eight poopy characters, key characters from the Fratelli Napoli company, a delightful fourth generation family of pupari, puppet makers and puppeteers, whose um, workshop and small museum um, are housed in an ancient building, building nestled in the historic center of Catania, uh, a city on the east coast of Sicily. Anyway, similar to the diplomacy in action experienced in the case of the Turkish shadow puppets, um, the Consulate General of Italy in Vancouver was to play an active and indispensable role in facilitating the acquisition of the poopy. So I had to find times and spend time in the Cultural Affairs Office at the Consulate downtown with Luigi Sarno, um, having three-way conversations um, with David Napoli, uh, Napoli on my cell phone um, as we tried to navigate the complicated timetable involved involving monetary transactions, four different family members, inventory and transportation of poopies from Sicily to Vancouver through customs to the museum in time for the exhibition um, with influenzas and tours in between. Um, so this was a time when um, inter international governments had introduced as well new regulations regarding financial transactions and these really did Im Im impact the acquisition of puppets not only from Sicily but um, you know Asia and elsewhere. So with Luigi Sarno masterfully translating back and forth between English and Italian um, was with immense relief on all sides um, we managed to resolve the issues and the marvellous poopy did in fact arrive in time to be quarantined, measured and mounted on stage um, with customised video and sound projections by H4 Studios and they were very much celebrated in on social ma media by the consulate as well as by local Italian communities and uh, the wider public. So, MOA has a reputation for collaborative museology, for collaborating with Indigenous, especially First Nation knowledge holders, and originating or source communities, referring to the people who are culturally connected with the objects, in this case, puppets. Did shadow strings and other things involve any forms of collaborative museology? Um, yes, I, I would say, in fact, that the whole exhibition was a case in collaboration. Um, I think exhibitions are in general, you know, collaborating, collaborating with diverse knowledge holders, puppet makers, puppeteers, artists, filmmakers, designers, students, bureaucrats, etc, etc. Um, but in terms of collaborating with First Nation knowledge holders, there was one historical collection that troubled me from the beginning, the Indigenous Northwest Coast Puppets. Um, now, this is a small collection consisting of 13 different ingenious articulated entities, including spooled crabs, two anthropomorphic winged figures, um, a baby in a cradle, a pop-up fool in a box, a supernatural warrior, a frog, and other enigmatic figures and sets. Um, and the majority of these figures were created by the Kwakwakiwak First Nation of Kinkham Inlet, BC. And they were created for use in ceremonial contexts. So as part of the well-known practice of potlatching or the hosting of ceremonial feasts. So um, 
And when I started my research, these figures were, most of the figures were on display in the museum's multiversity gallery. And while they were labelled in the gallery and classified, in fact, on the museum's digital catalogue under object type as, as a puppet, you know, we have to remember that puppet is actually a Western term. It's etymologically rooted in Latin pupa, meaning or referring to dolls. And to a degree, this is an ongoing imposition of this classification of classifying these ceremonial figures or beings as puppets speaks to the complicated Western and Anglo-centric infrastructure of the museum that really contemporary museums and museum theory and practice are, are determined to what we refer to as decolonize. Um, so, so to decenter this Western terminology. So in my original exhibition proposal, I, I had noted that it would be important to reach out and collaborate with source communities, um, to families and relatives and knowledge holders, as is established practice, um, you know, not only at MOA, but in Canada and elsewhere. Now, in this case, the intention was not only to connect um, knowledge holders, community members with the museum collections and share information or memories about this unique form of cultural heritage, um, but also to determine the appropriate kwakwala, that's um, the indigenous language of the kwakwakiwak, so the appropriate kwakwala term for these articulated characters. And more importantly as well, or importantly, to ask whether it's, it, it would be acceptable to include um, these characters in an exhibition on puppetry, in an exhibition, shadow strings and other things, that was not going to be restricted to the sacred and the ceremonial, but also encompass and explore, you know, profane and boisterous, pure entertainment like Punch and Judy, for example. So um, with the help of Karen Dufek, who's a MOA curator and uh, Daisy Rosenblum, uh, who's a colleague of mine in the Department of Anthropology. She's actually a linguist who specialises in Kwakwala. Um, a collections visit was organised for three Kwakwakiwak elders, whom Daisy is collaborate, collaborates and teaches with. So Ruby, Daw Ruby Dawson Cranmer, um, Henry Seaweed and Rita Barnes. So um, the uh, a visit was was organized for them to spend an afternoon at the museum so to spend time visiting with a group of puppets uh, um, that were destined for the, for display um, and in fact it was ruby cranmer ruby dawson cranmer's father who'd actually sold the enigmatic winged figures to the museum in 1953 and so you know as a guest curator such an honor to be present when the three kwakwakiwak elders visited the museum um, it was such an honour to, to listen as they re recollected events and discussed in Kwakwala and discussed terms in Kwakwala. So the elders confirmed that in Kwakwala, the ingenious articulated characters that we refer to as puppets um, are known as dlukwe, treasures, um, and um, as are the theatrical dances in which they appear. And although the elders did not recall witnessing the puppets such as the pop-up you know, fool in the box, um, perform, Ruby Cranmer did speak of one occasion when she was a girl and she found the articulated winged figures and was playing with them. And her father discovered her doing so and he ticked her off and told her not to. He told her they were not toys. So it was really inspiring um, to, to be there when the elders visited the museum. And um, they gave 
the green light for the Dlugwe to be in the exhibition. Although I should mention that the two winged figures did fly off um, for a few days, well, almost a week actually, to participate in a, a potlatch um, in Alert Bay. So to end, I know this is a very, very difficult question to answer, but did you have a favorite stage of the five stages, a favorite area in the exhibition, or a favorite puppet? Um, I cannot answer these questions. <laughs> no, I, I cannot answer these questions. I don't have favorites. I didn't really have any favorites. Each element had its own poetic. You know, each each puppet, and I used to say this on my tours, each puppet is handcrafted. Um, you know, they are singular, unique, special, um, each one. Um, but really, in closing, I would say that there were ultimately... Um, there were two lone elements or components in the exhibition, both connected to Indigenous First Nation artists. Um, so one was the, the gigantic 12-foot-tall rod puppet, meh, which in, is um, in Hunkaminam, the Indigenous language of this area's Coast Salish peoples, First Nations, um, translates as elder. So meh stood at the entrance to the exhibition, poised with his arms raised in the Indigenous Northwest Coast gesture of welcome, um, which very much fits with the established protocol of First Nations welcome. And then the other lone component was the stop motion installation, which featured uh, two animations, Bedarban and Four Faces of the Moon, plus puppet set installations with the incredible intricate silicon puppets by the award-winning Indigenous um, artist and filmmaker Amanda Strong and her, her studio Spotted Form Productions. So really these elements, these loner elements, added a contemporary energy, a particular poetics, an ambience, a politics, um, that I feel were critical, crucial, and indispensable for the exhibition. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shadow, Strings, and Other Things, the Exhibition Conversations. We hope you enjoyed our interview today with curator Dr. Nicola Lavelle, and that you tune in in the future to learn more about all of the creative individuals who helped make this exhibition what it was.